three verses today. We've heard them read. Please do keep them open. We are slowing down and the brakes are on. And I think there's a good reason for that. Why don't you look at that little phrase in verse 17 with me? Just very briefly, look at what Paul says of our troubles. They are light and they are momentary. Let me be honest with you if I can for a moment. I have read these words uh, in the past with a sense of disdain. Uh, A disdain that is both ungodly and ill-informed. But I know I'm not alone. And I struggle with them still today. Light and momentary troubles. How can Paul describe his troubles, our troubles, our struggles, our suffering, our afflictions as light and momentary? Has Paul no empathy? Has Paul no understanding of what your life, what my life, what, what his life is really like? You see, Paul would say to you, if you are lonely... And if you are struggling in or out of a relationship, if you know illness, if you know disability, if you know pain, loss, whatever your trouble, that affliction with all the weight and what you are feeling in and through that affliction. Paul would say to you, light and momentary, light and momentary. But the thing is, you and I know the reality, don't we? It doesn't feel light and momentary when you are going through tough times in life, does it? It can feel heavy and it can feel all-consuming and never-ending. You sit at the edge of your bed in the morning or at night, your head in your hands in total despair and you're wondering how you can possibly get through the next 24 hours. Because those next 24 hours feel to you like an eternity set before you. Light and momentary is the most inadequate description of how you feel. And that is why I think we need to slow down and put the brakes on as we approach these verses. We must understand why Paul says that our troubles are light and momentary because when we do, when we do understand and apply and live out these words, I have to say it is utterly liberating. Let's look at these three verses. Look with me at verse 16, if we can, as we begin. Therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. First point on your little handouts there. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And there is a reason Paul encourages himself, the Corinthian church, as he's writing to them, and to us, To not lose heart. The linking word therefore points us back to all that he said before. We understand that. Look at verse 1. He said the same phrase before. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. In verse 1, the reason he says it there is because it was the knowledge of what God was doing through him that he does not lose heart. Through his ministry, Paul was bringing sight to the spiritually blind. He was bringing life to the spiritually dead. But there was a cost. We've seen that through the letter. Turn back to verse 12, you'll see it. He says, death is at work in us there. There's this theme running through of cost within ministry that has been running probably since chapter 2, verse 14, actually before. Do you remember Paul introduced us to 
that, that scene where he was captive within tr- Christ's triumphal procession. He's experiencing these continual deaths as he sees them because of the ministries involved in. And so Paul begins chapter 4 by saying, we do not lose heart because he's spurred on what, by what God is doing through him. Despite his sufferings, he's spurred on by what God is doing through him as he proclaimed the resurrection hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we get to verse 16. He says the same thing. We do not lose heart. But his perseverance here is based on what God is not, not what's doing through him, but what God is doing in him. That is, he speaks now of an internal transformation that results from the resurrection gospel that he's been proclaiming. Now, if you sit here today and you have heard and responded by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you too will know this transforming work in your life that Paul speaks of here. And therefore, these words, listen to them, do not lose heart. Why? Well, Paul says in verse 16, you'll see that our first main point, because we're being renewed day by day. We're being renewed day by day. And Paul is making a very simple point here. He's saying, uh, obviously, outwardly, we are wasting away. Paul certainly was. Look back a few verses from 8 through to verse 12. Both physically and emotionally, Paul is being attacked on every side within his life. It was hard. And we too know this and we feel this as we go through life. The daily pressures, they mount up, don't they? We physically decay as we age. We feel that, don't we? Well, we might try and slow the progress of that and uh, and lighten the load, but we know the inevitable trajectory, don't we? I was uh, riding my motorbike the other day, uh, a great joy I have in my life, and I stopped at a traffic light. And there was a little boy um, with his mum, he was on a tiny scooter, you know, those little kind of little scooters that you ride around on with the little, little handles. And little kids absolutely love motorbikes. And there he was looking at me and I was sort of just, yeah, yeah, so high. And, uh, and he, he did the most amazingly cool thing. He gestured at me to rev my motorbike. <laughs> I thought, well, I duly obliged. I thought, why not? Why not? This kid's just like, Vroom! I sort of really rev my engine. And honestly, it was the most hilarious thing. It was like, it was like his world had exploded with joy. He was jumping up and down, he was giggling, he was pointing to his mum and then back to me. It's like, yeah, do it again, please. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself envying little children? So few cares, so little decay that they perceive, so little weight of the world on their shoulders. Little do they know that, like us, they have begun outwardly wasting away. Now we know that, because we feel that. And Paul, however, is encouraging himself and us that because of the resurrection hope we know in Christ, we're being transformed. Look at it, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. 
Now this is the same inner renewal that is going on. And Paul speaks of it in other letters, Ephesians 3 verse 14, if you want to look it up later. Uh, Paul is speaking about the heart, the centre of who he is. We're being renewed as God's Spirit is working us in and through the Word, making us more like Christ. Back in verse 10 of chapter 4, it is the life of Jesus being revealed in us. He speaks of it there. Oh yes, outwardly, we're wasting away. But with the Spirit in our hearts, we are bound for heaven. And one day we'll be raised with Christ, which is what we saw again, verse 13 and 14 last week. And therefore, day by day, there is a transformation occurring within us as God prepares us for that inevitable day. This daily transformation is a truly beautiful thing. I hope you recognise it. I nurture it. But it does point us to a day that is vastly more beautiful when we meet Christ face to face. So you see, we do not lose heart. If we spend too long looking at ourselves in the bathroom mirror in the morning, our reflection will shout back at us sadness, illness, loneliness, decay. It's very easy to lose heart if that is the scope of your vision. And therefore we must look elsewhere. We must see beyond the decaying reflection in the mirror and see the beautiful transforming work of God by his spirit through his word as he prepares us to go home. Therefore Christians we do not lose heart. Yes, God is sovereignly transforming us, but we must also allow ourselves to be renewed by the Spirit through the Word. Be careful not to shut out God by stifling that renewing work through His Word. We're being renewed day by day. First point. The wonderful thing about Paul is he's not happy with a kind of a one-point argument. Never is, very rarely anyway. Uh, so he gives us other reasons to not lose heart here. Uh, it's for us to persevere in and through the difficulties, through the afflictions. We do not lose heart, therefore. Secondly, verse 17 we see, because our troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Verse 17, let's remind ourselves of it. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I weigh about 70-something, 80 kilograms. I can't remember. I've never looked, really. Now, compared to... I'm glad Samuel's actually arrived, because Samuel Laboda, I think, is our, our youngest little chap around. Uh, but c- compared to him uh, in church, I am huge. I outweigh him in terms of mass and weight... I am huge comparing to a tiny little baby. But if I were to stand next to a victorious, brilliant, wonderfully skilled Six Nation champion rugby player from England, England, sadly not the Grand Slam, but you know, the pesky Irish got in our way. But you know, if I were to stand next to uh, an England rugby player, I, I would look tiny. Absolutely tiny. I understand my weight, you see, in terms of comparison. And likewise, in verse 17, we must first see it as a comparison. Paul isn't saying here, oh, life's a breeze. His life certainly wasn't. His afflictions were neither light or momentary. He suffered terribly again and again and again. It was unrelenting for Paul. 
But what he's saying here is, we do not lose heart, brothers and sisters, in our struggles and sufferings, because in comparison, in comparison to what you are looking forward to, that is the eternal nature of the glory that you're being prepared for, the trials and sufferings of our lives, the, the difficulties, the afflictions, they are light and seemingly momentary in comparison to that weight and the volume of the glories to come. And literally, as you read, that our temporary afflictions are producing for us an eternal glory that is, in a sense, out of proportion. Such is its magnitude. It is out of proportion to the afflictions that you feel and face right now. Whatever you are going through, by comparison, there is an out-of-proportion glory that is being prepared for you. I think the interesting and perhaps even shocking thing of verse 17 is that link, though, between our afflictions that, you see, it says it produces, us, it achieves an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, if you know, if you read through Romans, for example, you'll know similar things happen in Romans 8, Uh, where we are described as fellow heirs with Christ. Christ who not only we share in his sufferings, but we'll also share in his glory. There's a a link between the two. You see, there's an expectation that when the Messiah comes, we should expect no less. He suffered, we should suffer. And glory later. And Paul says in Romans 8, 22, 23, we live and we are part of a groaning creation, he says there. Uh, We live and therefore wait for our final adoption and redemption. That time we meet Christ face to face. But that means suffering now. It means being part of a groaning creation now. But glory to come. Glory to come. Oh, practically that means for you and I as Christians, if we're Christians here today, if we want to be identified with Christ for eternity, we must expect suffering now. We're not going to look for it, but we must expect it. But with the guarantee of glory to come. But how are those troubles achieving? How are they achieving for us an eternal glory? Now, the point is not necessarily that clear in this verse. The following verse will bring a little more more clarity. We'll, We'll come to that in a moment. But one thing I think we can remember from this verse is that any suffering that we face is never overturning the purposes of God. Oh, God is working in and through even our most difficult of times. Uh, For our good, Romans 8 says, that is to make us more like Jesus. God uses the hard times, the struggles. He's not responsible for them, uh, but he is over them and he can use them for his good purposes in us. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the afflictions. Now I realise we may know what these words mean, but there will be times in your life, and you may be going through them right now, there may be people here that you know and love who are going through very difficult times. When troubles and afflictions feel so weighty and so crushing... And you may feel that the pain will never go away. Just a couple of things to remember from these verses. Firstly, remember to compare. Remember to compare. 
When you feel crushed and overwhelmed, turn to the eternal hope and glory that has been secured for you by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Then and only then will you begin to know the reality that what you face now, however grim it may feel, is nothing by comparison to the weight of glory that is to come. Remember to compare. (coughs) Secondly, remember what is being achieved. An eternal glory that is out of proportion to the weight of affliction that you are feeling right now. It may not feel like that. It may not feel like that. But God is good to his promises, isn't he? And through your suffering, he is preparing an eternal glory that is so incredibly weighty by comparison. Now we get to the end of verse 17. I understand this. I feel this. We get to the end of verse 17. In some ways, there can be a low-level sense of frustration about what has been said. We want to know exactly what that eternal glory looks like, don't we? We're itching to kind of know. We want to know what it looks like and feels like. Why? Because we know exactly what our afflictions and our suffering feels like. We know what it looks like. It's horrible. And it sucks. Living in a groaning creation at times is miserable. And with the psalmist, we rightly want to cry out, don't we? How long? How long, Lord? How long do we have to live feeling like this? This weight of suffering. And which is why verse 18, as we get to it now, is so helpful. When in despair, where do we need to go to? What do we need to do? Verse 18, we need to fix our eyes not on what is seen... But what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Last point, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Let's summarise, Paul does not lose heart, even though he's suffering and being persecuted, even though he's wasting away, he does not lose heart. Paul does not lose heart because inwardly he's being renewed day by day as the Spirit works in him to prepare him for glory. But also Paul does not lose heart because his heart is not set on things that are seen, but rather things that are unseen. Now, what is he talking about here? He's not simply talking about stuff which is visible to the eye and invisible. More likely what he's doing is he's contrasting here uh, things uh, that are visible now and things that are not yet visible. That is, things that will one day be revealed when we meet Christ face to face in glory. Paul's heart is resolved as his gaze is fixed on the hope of what is to come. That is what has been secured through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The great reformer, uh, John Calvin, summarized these verses like this. Verse 16, 17, like this. He said, this comparison makes that light uh, which previously seemed heavy. And makes that brief and momentary which seemed of boundless duration. And he comments on this verse, particularly verse 18, saying this. When we have once raised our minds heavenwards, a thousand years begin to look to us to be like a moment. (coughs) 
Now, let me just try and explain verse 17 in the light of verse 18. I said there was a frustration. Let me try and sort of spell that out if we can. Remember it? Momentary troubles are achieving for us. They're achieving an eternal glory. That, that is, they don't automatically multiply eternal glory for us. Suffering, get loads of more glory. The point is, troubles and suffering, I think like nothing else in our groaning creation, cause us to feel at times hopeless, don't they? And when we do feel like that, we begin to fix our eyes on our only hope. Troubles, you see, help us fix our eyes on what is unseen. The hope of glory to come and the God who has made that possible. Troubles and suffering, they do help us realise, don't they, that this world is rubbish and rubbish things happen. Pain happens. Loss happens. Suffering pushes us, essentially, to get with reality. It helps us realise that Life is fading. It is decaying. And Paul is urging us to fix our eyes on the unseen. Namely the resurrected and glorified Jesus Christ. That he's been proclaiming in the previous verses. Now Paul is not denying the fact that we need to look after ourselves now. And enjoy now. There is much to enjoy in his creation We're to be good stewards of our bodies. We're to be good stewards of this creation. But our gaze, our longings, our focus must be, if we're not to lose hope in this world, we must fix our eyes on what is unseen. The glories of the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope he has brought us through his death and resurrection. I wonder, what do you fix your eyes on? What do you fix your eyes on? What would your internet history tell you that you fix your eyes on? What would your daydreams expose that you fix your eyes on? What do you fix your eyes on? If our eyes are predominantly fixed on the things of this life, the seen reflection in the mirror... The things that we can buy, the experiences that we long for, the relationships that we long for. If our eyes are predominantly fixed on things that will decay, we will share the same end as them. But if our eyes are fixed on the unseen glories of the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected and glorified, we too will share the same unending glory. My friends, Christians here, we do not lose heart. What I love about these verses is that Paul holds in tension two realities in his life. He's suffering. He is facing difficult times for proclaiming Christ and living in a groaning creation. That is one reality, but at the same time he is rejoicing. He's rejoicing in the glories of Christ. Resurrected and glorified. In his suffering, he isn't afraid to share the pain of that. He isn't denying life is hard. But at the same time, his eyes are fixed on the goodness of God and the hope that he has and in the glory to come. Two realities in his life. 
It's why later in chapter 6, verse 10, we'll look at it in a few uh, weeks, he says a wonderful kind of tension, a phrase. He says, I'm sorrowful, yet I'm also rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, he says. I wonder if someone says to you, how are you? I know we're British and we say, oh, I'm fine, I'm okay. That's kind of like, it kind of flows off our tongues, doesn't it? It's just kind of the default. But if things are really tough, sometimes we might dare to share with a friend, you know, over a kind of like box of tissues and whatever, you know, we might just say, life is hard, it's sad, it's difficult. We might just go that way. Oh, if, you, if things are feeling pretty good, we might, we might say look to a friend, things are wonderful, great, loving life at the moment. Everything's working out, I look great with God, it's brilliant. I think Paul is teaching us through this letter that both those responses are too simplistic and too reductionistic. Paul is sorrowful because life is hard. There is suffering for the Christian as we dare to share the gospel. That is inevitable. As we live in this groaning creation. So we are sorrowful. Yet always rejoicing. Rejoicing in the eternal glory to come that far outweighs the sorrow and pain of this world. So when someone does say, you know, how are you? How are you? Here's some ideas. Wasting away but not losing heart. I might get that tattooed on my arm or something like that, you know. Wasting away yet not losing heart. Going through some troubles but fixing my eyes on Jesus. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We must hold both of these realities of our lives in tension and not try to deny either. Last thing, have you ever noticed the the plural nature to every single verse and instruction in these verses. Have you seen that? We do not lose heart. We are wasting away. We are being renewed. Our light and momentary troubles. We <coughs> fix our eyes. You are not alone. And you were never designed to be alone. If you are losing hard, it is probably because you are trying to get it to go it alone. Your light and momentary troubles, my light and momentary troubles, yours are mine, mine are yours. If you try and carry them on your own, you'll be crushed and you will lose heart. And therefore we fix our eyes. It's, it's hard to do that, isn't it, when you're alone and you're suffering. When you feel overwhelmed and it's virtually impossible to even contemplate opening up your Bibles or spending time with God in prayer. You're angry, you're sad, and you f- life just feels terribly unfair. And that is when we need others around us to point us to the eternal glory that far outweighs the rubbish that we're going through. Last comment. Um, in a sense, it's a, a bit of advice, a bit of wisdom. Just be careful. I remember waking up from a, an operation I once had that ended my kind of ever playing sport again properly. And a few hours later, a friend sat beside me and told me truths from God's word. And if I'm honest, if I were able at that moment, if I hadn't just had my back sliced open, I'd have probably got out of my bed and ended his sporting life as well. 
God was very kind and I couldn't move. I think the point is this, we love to fix, don't we? We love to fix people. When sometimes it just needs someone to cry with and have a hug. Spend the time with a person who's suffering. Now, of course, don't hear me wrong here. We must point them to Christ and help them fix their eyes on the glories to come that far outweigh the light and momentary troubles that they're going through. Yes. But be sensitive as you do that, as you point them to Christ. And remember, Jesus himself was the one who wept in John 11 before he then went and spoke and brought life. Don't try and fix and be insensitive. Instead, love them. And in time, after tears are shed, we must help each other to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's won an eternity for us. Therefore, friends, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Why? Because you're being renewed day by day as God's Spirit works through his word. Secondly, our troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory and therefore we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Let's pray. Why don't we bring maybe to God in a moment of prayer whether it's ourselves who are going through difficult times, we may know, we should know, people here amongst us in our church who are going through very difficult times. Why don't we pray for them that they do not lose heart, maybe for ourselves, that we do not lose heart. Just a moment of quiet.